0: Hey, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week we talk about this insane time in American politics, break down a few stories, and try and make sense of things as best we can. And I'm Charlie Warzell, a senior tech writer here at BuzzFeed. Charlie, what on earth could we possibly be talking about this week? Well,
1: former FBI Director James Comey Testified in front of the Intelligence Committee, and everyone in the entire United States watched it. So, I think we probably should talk about
0: that, maybe. I think, yeah, we'll be talking about that for a little while. Mm, what else? And,
1: and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, what's going on uh, in Congress with healthcare. A pretty consequential thing that is kind of taking a back seat to. Uh, you know, sort of the the day to day madness, and and I
0: think we're going to try to get to the bottom of what's actually going on. Lastly, it is two p.m. on Thursday, and I'm telling you that because by the time you listen to this, who knows what could have happened. Joining us now is Torini Party, who covers the Trump administration and Congress for BuzzFeed News Tea Party. Welcome hey, back up? to the party. <laughs> it is a party. <laughs> So um, you, like the rest of America, and I and our whole office watched the James Comey testimony.
2: We did, but unlike a lot of America, we didn't have drinks and didn't line up at like six o'clock at some bar to go watch it.
0: Yeah, I really have to wonder what these people do for work. D.C. is a really strange place to live. It really is. <laughs> what did you think was like the, the biggest moment uh, for a congressional
2: hearing, you know, we were expecting things to get a little bit boring, and it never really got that boring. Um, I thought the the repeated moments when he basically called President Trump a liar and someone who could not be trusted, I thought that was pretty remarkable, coming from a former FBI director before the Senate Intelligence Committee in a public hearing for the world to hear that. From the get go, he had a gut feeling that President Trump was not someone he could trust in the sense that he didn't know how Trump would, uh, you know, describe their interactions if things didn't go his way.
0: So, yeah, it was a pretty remarkable moment right at the Top of the hearing, he, instead of reading the prepared remarks that he had put out or his testimony, he launches into kind of an explanation of why he's there and talks about some other things. And And right at the beginning, before he's asked a question, he calls the president a liar and accuses him of, you know, besmirching the good name of the FBI. So let's listen to that.
3: Although the law required no reason at all to fire an FBI director, the administration then chose to defame me and more importantly the FBI by saying that the organization was in disarray, that it was poorly led, that the workforce had lost confidence in its leader. Those were lies.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. That was the first time. And then he, he does it again a couple more times in the hearing where he, where he calls President Trump a liar. And that, I don't know, seems pretty unprecedented to me. <laughs>
2: It does. And it seemed and it was also sort of the way he was doing it. I mean, in his opening statement, he was sort of more lawyerly about it. But as it went on, he was getting more casual and more open with with the committee. And he kind of, you know, said it in a way where you might be even talking to, you know, your mom and bring up your interaction with the president and sort of call him casually a liar.
1: (laughs) Well, that's what I was curious about is foregoing sort of the, the statement that everyone picked apart on Wednesday did I mean it, as someone who's kind of an outsider was that just uh, kind of a huge surprise or is that something that's generally common
2: I mean, I, personally, I was expecting him to read it. But then once things got started, it made complete sense that he wouldn't read it because the cable news has already aired out every single, you know, interesting bit of that over and over again. And it it frees up a lot of time. So, you know, there's uh, more time for senators to ask questions. There's uh, more time that he has to to make uh, another opening statement, essentially, in which he can get to other things. Um, so it seemed like a, an interesting... but strategic move on on part of Comey um, to do that.
0: The, the hearing was also just sort of a, a weird unicorn hearing and I think like you said like that it was it wasn't boring like typically these things even the biggest hearings the craziest hearings can be real fucking snooze fest. You know, it's just like senators wanting to hear themselves talk. I actually thought that all the questions from both sides were pretty direct. Comey said everything he seemed to want to say. And, nothing he did. I mean, he obviously went in there saying, you know, being like, I understand that the entire world is watching right now. And here are the things I want to say about my interactions with with President Trump. Yeah,
2: he he definitely wanted to clear up any feeling that people might have uh, against him. I mean, he was clearing up his name, but also, uh, you know, said this in his opening remarks, he wanted to make sure that, you know, the FBI and the people who are still working there on on this Russia investigation and. In particular, particular have the ability to to carry that out without these sort of questions surrounding Comey's firing.
0: Another sort of remarkable thing that happened that was like I kind of thought it was like no duh obviously but but to hear him say it was pretty (laughs) crazy when he said that um, he leaked the memo himself. I mean he didn't personally do it but he like through a third party, he instructed his friend to go talk to the New York Times. There was a
1: lot of candor there that I, I yeah, I wasn't expecting, expecting that either. That was either. stunning. Yeah, I don't know. That was wild. I have to
2: the, the way he delivered that, just saying, oh, you know, I saw the tweet and then I woke up in the middle of the night and decided to do this. I mean, <laughs> I, I just thought the, that whole exchange was stunning.
3: The president tweeted on Friday after I got fired that I better hope there's not tapes I woke up in the middle of the night on Monday night because it didn't dawn on me originally that there might be corroboration for our conversation. There might be a tape. And my judgment was I needed to get that out into the public square. And so I asked a friend of mine to share the content of the memo with a reporter. Didn't do it myself for a variety of reasons, but I asked him to because I thought that might prompt the appointment of a special counsel. And so I asked a close friend of mine to do it.
2: And, you know, he outed the New York Times source on this, essentially. <laughs> he was quite, I mean, he didn't need to be as specific as he was uh, in terms of who his friend was. Um, I also think it's funny because we've been seeing, you know, this, these New York Times stories about the memo uh, that are cited to a source close to Comey. And I've just had this image of, of Comey, you know, sitting around his <laughs> house, just calling Michael Schmidt at the New York Times or whoever, uh, and just, you know, going on and on about his firing and, and uh, just reciting the memos, but turns out it was someone. <laughs> it he fames
0: Vomi. No. He was like, <laughs> yeah. And he did, he did right. say that like he wanted to do it through a third party because he had all, all these reporters staking out his house and that for him to do it himself would have been like throwing food at seagulls
1: at a beach. It is odd, though, when there are all these reporters just standing outside your door Uh, with all this access just kind of go through this you know circuitous method of you know other sources and and, i mean i guess i'm curious do you guys sort of buy that that's the best way to do it that he couldn't have just been more direct with this with the leak i think that this
2: was comey's way to get control of the narrative as quickly as possible and without actually inserting himself into it, which is sort of sketchy. Um, I mean, you know, people are brought up that he could have, uh, you know, given turned over the memos to the Senate Intelligence Committee or other committees also looking into the Russia investigation. But in that sense, it they wouldn't possibly have leaked out uh, at the speed at which they did. And we had the president tweeting about, uh, you know, having potential tapes about his reasoning for for firing Comey. And I think he wanted to get control, essentially, of the narrative and his interactions with the president as quickly as possible. And he chose to do it, go the third party route, which I think you know, in the coming weeks, we're going to hear a lot more about, especially because Republicans are already calling this, um, you know, they're focusing on this leak, which as far as we know, did not have classified materials in. So, yeah. you know, but it's Trump, not...
0: Trump's lawyer in a statement called it a privileged conversation with the but, president.
1: And that's one thing that's interesting to me about watching this sort of play out on Twitter and, and both sort of polls of my Twitter feed. It seems like both sides walked away and kind of claimed victory. And I'm seeing like, you know, the pro Trump media talking about this leak and, and talking about New York Times g- getting debunked as fake news. and. And then you sort of see on the other side, this was a terrible day for President Trump. It's like, every, it, it's kind of just like a Rorschach test. It really know? it
0: really was a choose yeah. your own adventure yes. hearing. And there were things that if you don't like President Trump, you could take away and say, you know, this was a devastating day. Or if you love Trump, just like this was great and it exonerated him and showed that james i mean though just to go back to the the memo leak for a second like james i think james comey went to the new york times because this is not a guy that like this guy has been around dc for a really long time and he knows exactly what is going to make the most impact to get his desired result and like you can debate the merits of whether that was like a good idea or a bad idea or even I mean, legal. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know anything about legality uh, of this situation, and I'm sure that folks in the Senate will be looking into that. But he had an objective in doing that and knew that going to the Times in that way would would do that.
2: And he was shockingly open that that was his end goal. It to, was stunning. Yeah, wow. to yeah. get a special prosecutor.
0: It was crazy. I mean, so in the tapes thing, I mean, he, he kept saying... Um, there was a really funny moment. We can just take a quick listen to it uh, about about the tapes.
3: I've seen the tweet about tapes, Lordy. I hope there are tapes.
0: Lordy,
1: can I ask a question about this? What if there were tapes? Let's just say, for the sake of an interesting side conversation, would is that something that anyone of us normal uh, Americans would ever hear, or is this just like, or is this just? I guess, like, what's the point of the tapes at, at this point?
2: Well, they would be subpoenaed if there were tapes. They would get subpoenaed, and uh, they would be part of the investigation. And eventually, you know, I, I it depends on the content of those tapes whether it was classified material discussed on them or not. But eventually, it would leak out exactly what Trump said and how how yeah. James Comey responded. And I, and I think
0: Comey Comey wants them out. Um, because he wants it to corroborate his version of the events. I would like to point out, too, that the White House has never denied the existence of tapes. Mm -hmm. They've never confirmed that there are any tapes, but they've also never said that, like there are. And
2: they've had plenty of opportunities to do so they've including over and a over a few again. times just today when uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about this repeatedly at her during her press conference.
0: The one thing I will say, I know a lot, like the 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 Trump anti-comey folks, the the big knock on him is that he's like a showboat like kind of. Yeah, I think the jokes
2: that were made it was He could have just actually been joking, but they seemed to me very, you know, they were peppered in, in a way to, you know, see more human and and come across as not this scary former FBI director, but just someone who goes on a date with
0: his wife and,
2: (laughs) you know, is in
0: between jobs (laughs) right now. Yeah, Comey's wife was a real victim in all of this. He had to cancel a date to go have dinner with Trump, he said. He said he wanted to take her on vacation to go into hiding after he got fired.
1: You make sacrifices I, for your country, okay? Jeez. Yeah.
0: Come, as as Catherine Miller, our editor, likes to say, Comey loves the drama. <laughs> and it was very dramatic. Um, I want to talk about something else that came up in the hearing that I thought was interesting. That Another reason the, um, the pro-Trump folks are so... Jazzed about this hearing was Comey talked a bit about the former attorney general under Obama, Loretta Lynch, and her handling of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails, because we still have to talk about Hillary Clinton's emails.
3: (laughs) The Clinton campaign at the time was using all kinds of euphemisms, security review matters, things like that for what was going on. We were getting to a place where the Attorney General and I were both going to have to testify and talk publicly about it, and I wanted to know, was she going to authorize us to confirm we had an investigation? And she said, yes, but don't call it that. Call it a matter. And I said, why would I do that? And she said, just call it a matter. It's
0: a important 2016 important point forever. forever. It's forever. never going to end. <laughs> never, ever. Um, but he did say and confirmed that you know part of the reason why he felt the need to talk About reopen say that he was reopening the investigation was that Loretta Lynch, you know, had this interaction with former President Clinton on a tarmac that she said that she would like to call it a matter and not an investigation and that he felt really uncomfortable with this fact. And so, you know, that was part of the reason why he sort of asserted himself in there, Charlie, you you are, I'm sure <laughs> looking at your your pro Trump tweet deck. I'm in the fever swamp
1: as we speak. How are they taking this news? I mean, this is part of this whole. You see what you want to see in this in this hearing, but but the I mean, y- there's no group of people, arguably, and though it's close. Uh, who want to, you know, relitigate every part of uh, 2016 as as much as, as the pro-Trump group at, with Hillary. And, it, I mean, this to them was just—it it was proof—you could take it a number of ways, you know. That Comey saw this and he didn't speak up, you know, properly about how you know he was queasy about Loretta Lynch. That you know this is proof that there is this, um, you know, bias inside the government to protect Hillary. That you know that every that the entire deep state apparatus shielded her and, and protected Hillary Clinton with this. Which I mean, it seems that there's you know. A, a kernel of, of truth to you know the language there, but also you know there was clearly uh, an investigation and and a lot of hay made of that. So I mean I think they're elated because what the pro Trump media wants more than anything is the is the ability to have you know some reusable ammunition, and this is like this is good for you know months.
0: It's never going to end. It's yeah. never going
2: to end. I mean, just if, when you need the base all revved up, just keep bringing up Crooked Hillary. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's what's going to happen. But
0: the, Yeah, but I mean, another point of that, too, is that, you know, it came, you know, Comey said it, and it was, again, one of those things where it was, like, surprising in his candor and all of this, but that piece of it actually had been reported mm-hmm. previously in the New York Times, and it kind of does sort of go to show that like our memories are sh- so short right now like i certainly didn't remember that the new york times had reported that i don't uh, maybe it maybe it just and obviously this was like a much larger stage in which they were talking about it and it was coming out of the mouth of the former fbi director but it was still like oh i i clearly like don't. i mean in part
2: because you know we've lived we lived through that for a Long time in our lives, and we <laughs> thought we had closed that chapter and moved on. But a lot of Republican senators did choose to spend their time at the hearing um, in asking more questions about it. And you know, there's been some discussion about uh, the senators uh, and and uh, the types of questions they asked, and in a way, how they might have protected Trump. And I think that was definitely one of the strategies there. Um, I mean, some you know chose to focus more on on leaks, which is the route Marco Rubio went, and then we had Senator uh, Cotton who basically just read out headlines from different newspapers related to the Russia investigation and asked Comey if they were accurate or not. So, uh, you know, this was handled differently all throughout, but but the Clinton email was like one way to really just distract, I think, from the bigger conversation.
0: Yeah. I always wonder, like, and they're in a class they went into a classified briefing afterwards I always kind of wonder what like the posture is in a classified versus public setting like if they have their feet up on the no <laughs> not the feet no, but like but like are they just- it's it's <laughs> actually
1: business casual so don't worry about
0: it everyone takes their tie off no I mean I, I mean more like uh, their posture towards James Comey like yeah. it, when yeah. you're on TV and you know I, I can't imagine what the ratings were like for that mm-hmm. um um, but it well, must have been well on, online
1: there were like the like hundreds of thousands of concurrent viewers on the New York Times stream on uh, a YouTube stream like i mean there were multiple like there were millions of people just watching streams that weren't dedicated to any networks so that it gives maybe a slight idea of how how many people were watching this
0: so do you think uh, this does anything to further <laughs> The, the Russia investigation, or will we just be hearing about James Comey forever?
2: I think we're going to be hearing about James Comey for for a while, uh, and I think a lot of it is because the the Russia investigation at this point, there's just uh, so much going on with it that at least for voters, it is really hard to sort of keep everything together. And you know, then uh, and a lot of it is coming out in the in newspapers. So there's obviously the narrative of whether or not you can even trust that information, especially after Comey himself said today that a
0: lot of it was inaccurate. The and and the other really interesting point about the hearing was that Comey didn't accuse Trump of obstructing justice.
2: He did not. He was very careful.
0: He danced around it a lot, but he was like I'm going to let the special prosecutor figure that part, like, that's under his jurisdiction now, and said repeatedly that Trump was not under investigation for any ties to Russia during his tenure and on the day Mm -hmm. he was fired.
2: Yeah, so, and when you put it like that, it it does seem like a pretty good... Hearing a pretty good outcome for Republicans. There's no sort of one explosive moment that's gonna, you know, that people are gonna talk about repeatedly that might get uh, President Trump into any sort of legal trouble. Which is why now both sides are gonna continue to cherry pick whichever, whatever part of the hearing works for their narrative. Everybody wins. (laughs) My,
0: My final question for you and Charlie: Do you guys think that James Comey can dunk? (laughs)
1: Oh god I I hope so I almost I I said to somebody earlier And this is (laughs) A semi non-professional way To end this conversation but I wish that These were almost settled by feats of strength Or (laughs) uh, shows of Athletic prowess and like if Comey Can prove that he can dunk Over Trump like posterize Him then you know it's all over
0: He's a very tall man.
2: He's a very tall man. He's also very stiff, though. So that's yeah. what concerns me with his.
1: He's, <laughs> and, he's older. He's older. I mean, I, we don't know in his prime. Are we talking about it? can he dunk in his prime or can he dunk? <laughs> or can I don't know. Dunk now, choose hey. your own adventure. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm going. I'm going on the record with Comey can dunk, and it's glorious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Torini, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Joining us now is Paul McLeod, who covers healthcare for BuzzFeed News. And while the rest of the world has been focused on Comey, there has actually been some movement on healthcare stuff in the Senate. Yeah, uh,
4: I think a lot of people are kind of sleeping on the whole health file right now. But quietly, the Senate is getting its ducks in a row to pass this he- health bill quite rapidly once once that process starts. So Mitch McConnell has laid the groundwork. Mitch McConnell, the uh, majority leader. Senate Majority Leader, yes. um, Has laid the groundwork now that as soon as they think they have the votes, they're going to rush this through. It is not going to go to committee. It is going to be bang, bang. We get a CBO score. It's public for maybe as little as a couple of days. And then it's voted on. And then, I mean, it could seriously be within a few days that, that Obamacare is repealed, and it's going to sneak up on people, which is...
1: Do, do you know, like, what's the timeline, sort of, of that in terms of, you know, from, let's say, Friday when you're listening to this?
4: Yeah, and not, not, any, not a few days from now, a few days from whenever they decide it's go time. That is still probably a few weeks away. They don't have a solid plan right now, but what they do have is a lot of progress towards one. They've made some... Some major gains this week. The most significant one is winning over Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy. And when I say winning over, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here. There's no final text. Every senator is, you know, there's being no, a little There's bit. no text, really. There's, there's no text right now. Yeah. It's just a plan that's coming together. So uh, Senator Cassidy, who was certainly very critical of everything we've been talking about this week, came on board and started uh, saying he was approving of this plan he thinks it passes the jimmy kimmel test as his sort of talking point on this essentially saying that people with pre-existing conditions are going to be covered uh he it was one of the key swing votes that they needed to get to pass this bill and they got him without jettisoning the pre-existing condition waiver so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna roll that back for a second roll it back for what, me what please, the hell please yeah yeah this is This is one of the biggest things that the House Health Bill does. It's one of the reasons that it allows, it allows states to waive the Obamacare rules that say you can't charge people with pre-existing conditions more than someone who is perfectly healthy. It's the entire reason that we don't have medical underwriting anymore that we don't have sick people unable to afford insurance because you know they had cancer as a child or one of any number of things. so states will be able to waive that under the. The house bill the big question was whether the senate would go along with that and bill cassidy was one of the people at the forefront saying no look we've got to look after people with pre-existing conditions well this week he's now gotten onto on board with a bill that keeps those waivers that would allow insurance companies to charge people with pre-existing conditions more to even price them out of the market now there are various conditions uh, it looks like what the Senate bill is going to do is put more money towards a what's called a reinsurance program. The long and short of that is they're going to subsidize the insurance companies to cover people who have these conditions. But we don't know the details of that. We don't know how much money it's going to take, how much money they're going to get. But the fact that they got Cassie to sign on to that, that he, the reason that's so key is because... That was what allowed the bill to pass the House to begin with. You had the hardline Freedom Caucus who really wanted more Obamacare regulations repealed. That was the linchpin. If they can can pass this to the Senate and keep those waivers, they can pass this bill. This can happen. Obamacare could be gone.
1: Does that signal—I mean, you're sort of getting there, but does that signal that this is going to be as for— for, for Democrats that this is going to be as unpalatable as the House's version or or that it's, is it getting sort of, are other things in the Senate being amended to to make it more palatable or or more, you know, sort of tacked a little bit towards the center or is it pretty much what you're hearing, seeing that it's it, going it to look is, a lot it's the It's
0: basically as well as pretty much the same, right? Like, yeah,
4: it's, it's, I mean, tacked towards the center is a fair way to put it. They're making various changes, but those changes don't really fundamentally change what that's, this bill is gonna do. Uh, so for example, one of the, the major, major implications of this bill is it takes about a trillion dollars over a decade out of healthcare for mostly poor people, and it puts it, most of that into tax cuts for mostly rich people, disproportionately affecting people who make over $200,000 a year. The Senate bill will still do that, but where whereas the House bill, the h c a would trigger that in twenty twenty, the Senate bill will probably roll that out through twenty twenty three so we're we're seeing the bill a bill that does essentially the same thing, but yeah, a little bit softer. There's gonna be more funding for elderly people who are of lower income. We're gonna see some uh, some more um means testing in terms of the supports. It's definitely an attempt to make it more palatable for moderate Republicans, but the, the skeleton of the bill is still going to be what we saw pass through the house.
0: And they only need 51 votes.
4: To uh, 50 because like Pence will break Mike the ties. Yeah. So
0: if they can get most of the caucus on board, it's
4: yeah. And it's hard to say exactly where they're at. Uh, the most likely knows seem to be Rand Paul, who opposes to the tax credit system that's included in this bill? This is this is a support system to help people buy uh, buy health insurance. Uh, he sees that as a new social entitlement program. He doesn't like it. We don't know for sure, but it seems quite plausible that he'll vote against the bill. Uh, another quite likely no is Lisa Murkowski, who represents Alaska, her state could be just drastically affected by a rollback of the Medicaid expansion just because she's got these rural health centers that really rely on Medicaid to exist. Uh, But, I mean, if you can, to be crude, if you can kind of buy her off, if you can put something else in the bill, that will address the rural care issue that makes it palatable for her state. I mean, you're really close. There are a couple of people who might vote against it, but there's no guarantee.
0: Yeah. And, and obviously, the, you know, this is moving at a much faster pace than Obamacare did. But there there was stuff like that in, in Obamacare. There are things to you can't you can't do like earmarks anymore. You can't just say, I'll oh, build a build a new bridge in your state if you vote for this bill, which is how people got to yes before on stuff that they didn't necessarily uh, totally agree with, but you can tuck things in there to make sure that certain elements. And, and are. they had
4: to do that with the house bill, the Buffalo buyout. I mean, they, yeah. had to <laughs> and they all have these kids. I
0: know what the Alaska nickname will be? I know. Well, we had
4: to come up with some alliteration. It's, before, yeah. it's very folksy for
1: how serious it
0: is. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's true.
1: It's also, it's stunning to me though, that as someone who's been paying n- no attention to this really, uh, this could end up being this major thing, like I it, from the sort of media perspective, it's like are are people going to be ready for this?
4: No, I don't think so at all. And I think that's the genius of what Mitch McConnell is doing is that people, I think kind of think it's gone away because there was so much uncertainty around whether or not the Senate was going to be able to reach an agreement and whether the House would then pass that. People, I think, just thought, "Eh, well, they're probably not going to be able to get around to it. Uh, It it really does look like they are close. And Mitch McConnell has set this up so that if they get there, if they get to 50 votes, it's going to be rapid fire. There's not going to be It's crazy there's not going to be a hearing. There's not even going to be a
0: hearing. That is... That's like bat shit to me. It's I insane. Mean, yeah, that's it's not like. And then you know, ugh, anyway,
4: it's a it's a complete <laughs> overhaul of the American healthcare system, and yeah. it's going to be rushed through very rapidly.
0: It's interesting. Uh, I think one of. You know, like you said, the sort of I, most people would be caught off guard. Obviously, there are a lot of reporters on the Hill reporting on this like very regularly, and you know, getting that information out. But one, I had a couple Republican aides say this to me in in different ways that they don't mind sort of like the Trump craziness mm-hmm. and the tweeting and like all the everything that's going on because it does allow them to. Kind of just do this with their heads down, with not a lot of people paying attention, because everyone's so focused. And and this is something, like, Republicans have said to me. This is not, like, you know, a secret conspiracy. Like, don't get distracted. Like, they're actually, like, no, no, the distraction is
4: fine. Absolutely. The House today is going to vote to repeal Dodd-Frank. They're going to repeal vote to repeal the pieces
0: up, big pie- chunks of it. I yeah. mean it essentially guts it doesn't repeal it gets, Dodd yeah. Frank but mean, it, it guts it.
4: Yeah, exactly. I mean it essentially undoes the key you know legislative reaction to the biggest financial crash since the 1930s and any other in any other time that would be huge news and hugely debated and uh and barely anyone notices.
0: <laughs> well, that
1: sounds like government the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Just wait until
0: everyone's distracted. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, very much for joining us. All
4: right. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Talk to you later.
0: Bye. All right, Charlie. That's this, fun. this was fun. Oh, uh, always uh, a pleasure. Take care. We, we use fun very loosely around here. You sure as hell do. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer and Eleanor Kagan. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production support comes from Agaranesha Shagre and Veronica Doolin. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate and at Sea